the people who listen to these podcasts, the listeners, are devoted. It's a niche audience, but they're so devoted to their host. So when a host recommends a product, you better believe that Ask will convert. Podcast Junkies, episode 287. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Newcomers to the podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. In case you're wondering what this ride is all going to be about, <laughs> it's the show where we seek out interesting voices in podcasting and get them to kick back their heels and talk about not only their shows, but whatever else is on their mind. In case you missed last week's fun episode, we had a great conversation with Garrett and Sabrina, host of I Know Dino, or is it Dino? A podcast completely dedicated to the love and passion that they both have for dinosaurs, of all things. So that was a really fun conversation and got some good feedback on the socials. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right, and the link will be in the show notes as well. This week, I speak to Marla Jackson. She's the host of the Mind of a Mentor podcast, and she's also the founder and CEO of Asa Collective. Today, we're discussing the incredible work she's doing to elevate and amplify women's voices worldwide. On her show, she features topical conversations and vital advice for podcasters about podcasting. Sounds like a show this audience would love and appreciate. <laughs> we engage in a good discussion about her extensive business background, and I can relate having been in corporate for over 20 years. We talk about her passion for raising women up and what inspired her to launch Asa Collective. She goes through her process for identifying and hiring passionate world-class team members, as well as her thoughts on the virtual shift that's occurred since COVID hit. We talk about what led her to podcasting, one of my favorite questions, and what she loves most about the incredibly supportive podcast community, which I can't get enough of and hope to see soon as a couple of conferences this year, with the first one being Podcast Movement Evolution. So hope to see you folks there. In wrapping up, we talk about the future goals for Asa and how she came up with the name, which is something I was curious about. And it's very, very fascinating to hear the origin story there. So stay tuned for that. Full show notes are always available, podcastjunkies.com forward slash 287. I've got a special promo available. I was catching up with the team from Alphonic, and if there's any old schoolers who have been listening to this podcast since way back in 2014, it's one of the first tools that I found as an indie producer. Alphonic, spelled A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C, is a free tool to start with for mastering your audio, and it's just amazing George, the founder, has done such a fantastic job and has been a huge, huge, huge supporter of the podcast community. So we've put together a special promo for you, listeners of this show. And when you sign up for Alphonic using the code at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Alphonic, so that's podcastjunkies.com forward slash A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C, you will get an additional 25 hours in your first month. So it's a fantastic offer. Make sure you check it out, podcastjunkies.com forward slash Alphonic. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcastjunkies. I'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. I just finished listening to the latest episode of Podcasting 2.0. I keep raving about this podcast and the work that Dave Jones and Adam Curry are doing there with the podcast 
index.org. Podcast hosts can subscribe to Podping, so they'll get the latest information. No more waiting for Apple to update. It's a bit geeky and a bit nerdy, but their most recent uh, podcast episode, Confetti Cannon, <laughs> was really entertaining and fascinating. If you're really interested in learning what the future of podcasting is going to look like and its decentralized benefits and all the mechanisms built in for uh, supporting independent podcasters. I think it's really, really fascinating. So in order to test it out, the easiest thing for you to do is go to newpodcastapps.com. And one of my favorites is the Fountain app. And I'm going to have the developer Oscar on in a future episode so we can dive deep on all things uh, value for value, which is something I'm, I'm hugely, hugely passionate about. So I know for a lot of you listening, this may or not be something that's relevant right now, but I think if you value this show and you value the stories we tell here and I share with you, then you'll understand how important it is to build up an ecosystem that supports the independent voice and will support it forever. And so I think it's really interesting times. I came back to record this after I was done with my intros and outros and I had Adam Curry's voice ringing in my head. So value for value is the model and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, the listener, that if you're getting value from this podcast, then feel free to test out one of those apps and send a boostogram. We had a couple come through anonymously for 999 Satoshis. Obviously, it's still pennies, but it's really fascinating to see that support come through. And thanks for the service Satoshi Streams that shows that uh, it's a Telegram channel you, you can subscribe to. So if you ever have any questions about any of this, just shoot me an email, harry at podcastjunkies.com, and happy to walk you through some of the services that I use and how I got my podcast set up. So anyway, new podcast apps, download one of those apps, test them out, and send along some boostograms, and I'll be happy to read those out on future episodes as well. Okay, enough of the uh, future talk there. Make sure you stay to the end where I reveal this week's retention hashtag, but let's get into this conversation with Marla. So Marla Isaacson, founder and CEO of ASA and host of the Mind of a Mentor podcast. Thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Thank you so much for having me. This is a real honor. <laughs> so we are recording this in the first week of January 2022. So I thought I'd start off by asking how your holidays and your new year went. Pretty awesome. I got a chance to visit my dad, who he lives in Florida, okay. and the weather was spectacular, so it was pretty great. Yeah, we had a great time. Thanks. How was yours? <laughs> it was good. We wasn't Florida weather. We went up north in Minnesota to a cabin. <laughs> 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 I went snowshoeing, so that's always fun. It's a bit different. I mean, I grew up in New York, but... I did spend four years in LA prior to moving to Minneapolis, so it was a bit of a change in me for in, uh, to getting reacquainted with the cold weather. <laughs> yeah, I don't love cold weather. We were driving up to the cabin, and my uh, partner's father was like, you guys know it's minus 25 up here. <laughs> <laughs> that just would not make me happy at all. So, yeah, it's a different mindset. Yeah. Lots of thick socks and uh, board games and fireplaces. So. <laughs> That part I can handle. What I can't handle is actually going outside. Yeah. I, was, uh, I wanted to get into a little bit of your background. Similar to me, I, I was in corporate for almost 20 years. I was at J.P. Morgan Chase and E-Trade in their marketing departments. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering when you were, if you started studying or started working in the field that you studied in college. Oh, absolutely not. 
<laughs> I was an English major in college, and I was fairly directionless. I mean, I, I just had no idea what I was going to do, really no idea. So between then and now, this is, you know, I never would have even thought I could be here. Yeah. Talk a bit, a little bit about your early experience for those that may not know, like your experience, because you've worked with some pretty notable companies as well. Yeah, sure. So my first job was a very short stint in retail, which made me realize that retail was not for me. Then I went on to work for Citibank for seven and a half years. It was great. I worked in a big branch in Midtown Manhattan as a sales manager, and then I moved to the marketing department. So I learned financial services marketing, and I really loved it. It, it, it was a great place to work. A lot of excitement at that point. A lot of activity. Which location? 42nd Street and 2nd Avenue. Okay. Daily News Building. Oh, cool. I, my first job in a branch, this, I'm dating myself, was Manufacturers Hanover. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Okay. And that was 40, 52nd and 3rd. Wow. I think, yeah. And so I think I was there for a couple of weeks and they merged with um, Chemical Bank. So the big stuff when I started was the launch of the CD, which <laughs> was <true>. huge. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm certainly dating myself. So um worked there for seven and a half years and it was time for me to make a move and always really admired American Express. It was at my, my dream company. Probably applied for just about every job that was on the boards. You know, many I was not qualified to do, but definitely finally landed a job there and it was a great place to work. So I spent 12 years there, again, financial services, marketing, it was a very creative place, high energy, really smart people. And I got some terrific exposure. The last position I had really what I was responsible for what's called customer management. So essentially, for the anyone having a consumer American Express card, once they acquired the card, you're my customer. Okay. So I was responsible for usage and retention. And I also did product development, which was very cool. I led the marketing launch of the blue card from American Express, and that was an amazing experience. So that was fabulous. I mean, I enjoyed it a lot, 12 years. And that point, the dot-com thing was booming, and I decided, okay, now it's, you know, I've done really well at American Express, and, you know, I, I think this is it for me here and um, let me make a move and took a job with WebMD. When it first started, it's so different now than when it first started. So for those that don't know and weren't there, because I was I left Chase as, at the time as Chase to do a dot com <laughs> to work for dot com as well, not as well known as, as WebMD. But if you could talk a little bit for people who like don't understand what the energy was like around like, uh, you know, 99 and, and the dot-com craze. I mean, the companies were renaming themselves like dot-com. <laughs> you couldn't get through a TV ad with like right. you know, dozens of dot-com promos. Well, there was a lot of money available. In fact, I don't know if any listeners will remember, there was a Super Bowl ad with Muhammad Ali. And that was done by WebMD. And that was just oh, wow. a lot of money. So there was a ton of money to spend. 
I enjoyed it. It was fun, high energy. The thing what that happened was like nine months into my tenure, the founder left and the New Jersey pharmaceutical guys took over and it wasn't so much fun anymore. Interesting. So it was probably the right move strategically for the business, but I said, no, this is not for me. Went on to work for Barnes & Noble for two years, a year and a half. Really loved it. Again, going back to my roots, English major. So that was super cool. And the big thing at the time was Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. And we did all kinds of Harry Potter marketing. And then it was, I sort of took a step back and realized my kids were of an age where it was probably more important for me to be closer at home because I was commuting from Bergen County, New Jersey to downtown New York and the commute was a killer. What was that commute like? Uh, it could be 40 minutes to two hours. Yeah. It was just crazy. It just depended on what was going on on the George Washington Bridge. And I, got, I was just tired. So I made the decision that I would pop out of corporate America, which was very scary for me. Thinking about what I wanted to do, my daughter was a very young teen at the time. And again, based on my experience at American Express, we thought about things vis-a-vis -vis like customer segmentation. And looking at the teen girl segment, at the time, I did not feel that they were served the way they should be. Okay. So yeah, there was there was a lot of stuff about, you know, movie stars and fashion and all that good stuff. But there was not a whole lot of content about things like going to college and, you know, giving back and starting your own business as a teen. And I decided that was something I really wanted to focus on. And my daughter was my, she was my meme, she was my my all. And I developed a company called Heart of Gold. That was my first startup. So it was Heart of Gold Girls. And did that for two years. You know, huge content site. Built our Facebook following to over 1.2 million followers. Wow. Because Facebook was like huge at the time. Yeah. And at the end of the two years, my daughter like went to college. And I realized I'm not that closely aligned to that teen market anymore. And decided to make a pivot, and we rebranded Heart of Gold Girls to Like a Boss Girls. Okay. And Like a Boss Girls was targeted towards millennial women, so women, you know, first, second jobs. And again, the focus was more on, you know, how-to content, how to get a job, how to, you know, deal with relationships, how to deal with roommates, you know, all kinds of practical information. Again, continue to do really well. It was just so much fun dealing with the segment. Then in 2018, my team suggested that I start a podcast. How big was your team at that point? Probably about 12 people. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was working with contractors, so people were in and out, but I had about 10, 12 core people working on the team. And the objective was to use my podcast to Amplify Like a Boss Girls, which a reason why so many people start a podcast. I really did not want to do this. I re I mean, they really forced me. My team, were, they were pretty belligerent. I mean, I'm more of the behind the scenes kind of person. So to actually put myself out there and do a podcast was terrifying. What were those early episodes like? Oh, they were horrible. 
my God, I sounded like a robot. I was terrified. I had my team. They were on, I was looking at my cell phone. I was looking, they were like, you know, emailing me and texting me questions to ask. I was just freaking out. I was so scared. The microphone can be very intimidating. Sure, sure. But I would say 20 episodes in, some people say it takes 10. No, it took me 20. I started to get used to it and realize, oh, this is fun. And I really focused on why I was doing it, which was really to hear the stories of heroes, you know, amazing women who have had fabulous lives, to talk to them about their experiences with mentorship. And it was just, I met some very cool women doing this. I mean, the conversations were really incredible, very emotional. I mean, I heard a lot of stuff and, you know, it made me realize I, you know, how lucky I was. Everyone has their own story. And that was the whole point of mind a mentor, which is for women to tell their story. When, just a couple of questions, were you listening to podcasts at the time? Were you aware of them? I started, They, I, you okay. know, <laughs> was I listening to them before I started my podcast? Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have the time. I couldn't deal with it. But then I started to listen to some of the big ones. And I realized, okay, I'm not going to be as good as they are, but what the heck, I'll give it a go. But podcasting, I mean, you been in podcasting longer than me. It wasn't as mainstream as it was as it is now. Sure. It was a new world for me. I grew up in the era of um, long form interviews being on TV, like Barbara Walters and 60 Minutes and 2020. And so, you know, some Charlie Rose. And so I was, it was interesting to watch. I don't think at the time I was aware that I was like learning anything, but I, I think looking back, I realized that there is a skill and, a, and, it's not something you're born knowing, like how to conduct a proper interview right. or how to maintain a conversation or how to engage with a guest in a way that seems natural. But I think what I have come to understand and respect of people that I know in the podcasting space that have been doing it for a long time is that it is it is a skill, but that means it's something that you can learn and it is something that you can get better at. And to your point, always tell students and clients, you know, you're... 10th is going to sound better than your first, your 20th is going to sound better than your 10th, your 50th is going to sound better than your 20th. But if you don't start, like you're not going to have those stumbles along the way. Absolutely. And get the reps in. Yeah, I mean, that's something that we talk to prospective podcasters about with ASA, and they're just terrified, they're afraid to launch. And we just said, just record a couple of episodes, you don't have to push them out, just see what the experience is like. But the other thing that I started to realize in doing these interviews was that I was not doing an interrogation. It meant to be, I was trying to do a conversation. Sure. So when you're doing, when you've got that mindset, it means you have to listen to what other people, what they're saying to you yeah, and then follow along. Yeah. So I became very engrossed in the conversation and it felt a lot more natural versus me just asking these questions like Barbara Walters used to do. So that really helped me when I sort of realized, wait a minute, you know, you got to change your mindset here. Yeah. And I think I've started to think about my guests almost as co-hosts and rather than a, you know, a interview to your point, it, it is a conversation because I think I always tell people there's three people in every podcast conversation, the host, the guest, and the listener. And if you feel you maybe want to make, you want to remember that even though it's just you and I speaking right now because of the wonders of podcast production, when people actually consume this, it's almost like we need to be thinking about the audience that's 
going to listen because <laughs> they're going to be listening at a future date. But I'm, I'm always conscious. So when it comes Absolutely. to things like... Okay, now you're just stressing me out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that just comes over time. And But if you're doing the things you said, like if you're actively listening, if you have a natural curiosity about the person or about the subject matter, it'll just flow. And you want to build a human-to-human connection and that's, you know, you'd be surprised how fast an, an hour can go by when, when you're genuinely connecting with folks. How do you feel you improved as a, a podcast host over the course of those episodes as you started putting the reps in? So I think a couple of things. Number one, I did better preparation. I did a lot more research before each interview just to really try to get a better handle on who I was speaking with. I realized I couldn't really wing it all the time. That just would not work well. So I did that. And I think it's just it's just being more comfortable in the conversation and active listening. And I also tried to forget about the microphone. I really did, because it's scary. Yeah. And I said, you know what, I'm not going to think about that. I'm just talking to someone. We're having a great conversation. We're learning a lot about each other. And, you know, you develop a rhythm with these conversations. So that started to flow a lot more probably after episode 30. I'm yeah. a slow learner, <laughs> but it started to happen. Did you, were you, did you find yourself listening to more shows or were there folks that were in the space or were there other sh- interview-based shows that you were listening to or that were inspiring you or, or where you were getting you know, good tips from? So I'm more of a research geek. So what I did, and again, this is just Amex training, is I spent a whole lot of time looking at the research and doing a lot of reading. I would say, yes, I listened to podcasts, uh, but I had I felt like I had a hang, you know, sort of understood it. Sure. But I really wanted to understand the industry better because I like to put things within a framework. Sure. So I did a whole lot of that. Talk a, to, a little bit about that, what that looks like, what you found in that research, because I'm also a, a nerd when it comes to like the podcasting industry and you know i listen to the pod news daily uh, podcast and follow a lot of like my colleagues in the space and we're in the process of putting together a marketplace as well so I'm, I'm really like deep diving into the industry so i'm curious where did you start for that research and, and what did you uncover well i mean i started with the basic i went on google <laughs> and i typed in podcast research and started to read there was edison research which was really great Edison's great nielsen research iab i mean those are pretty much you know the core pieces of research i mean there there's more now but i felt very comfortable with them and i felt they were very reliable and that i was able to really learn a lot from those that research and what it does is it give as again it gives me a framework but it's like it's a place where I can then take the information and then move create, you know, creatively versus just, you know, I I needed that foundation. Let me put it that way. So it was helpful for you to give you an overview of the industry itself. Yeah, I wanted to know what is it? What's going on? Um, You know, how many listeners? What's the advertising marketplace like? Sure. Who's listening? It's always, you know, who's listening? Why are people listening? You know, the why is always very important. Why are people listening to podcasts and who are they? That's a good one. To me, was super important. Anything that you recall in that research that stood out for you? You know, the thing that stood out to me was reading 
just looking at prior year's research and just seeing the numbers go up and up and up and up, I just was astonishing. I mean, I don't think I've seen anything quite like that. So that was certainly a motivator for me to continue on. So those numbers, those numbers were incredible. Yeah, that Edison Research Report, they've been doing it for, I think it's 15 years now. And it is one of those graphs that every single year, <laughs> it has increased over the previous year. Normally, on some type of industry or research reports, you see some dips. Right. But it's been, that's a good point that it's just been... And I also like the fact that, especially the most recent research, they break out based on demographics. And each population segment, you're seeing increases. Yes. And you're even, you're seeing increases in for baby boomers, like on ASA, we have grandma podcasts, but also the Gen Zs are coming on board and starting to listen big time. And they're going to start to produce a lot more podcasts. I feel that you were well positioned to not only um, be in podcasting as a growing industry, but also because of your background, right? You were in marketing. I'm sure part of your role in your previous roles was to do the research to figure out how to market, who to market to, what to market to them. And so those, you didn't mean to know at the time that you'd be using it in a different industry, but I imagine a lot of those came into play as you're looking at these numbers and maybe having, you know, flashbacks of how you used that information at American Express, at Citibank, and to put together marketing plans. Is that absolutely what was happening for you? Yeah. Um, use the research for the marketing plan. I think the one thing that I sort of was regretting, not regretting, but that sort of made me very cranky was that I didn't have the budget I had, you know, similar to American (laughs) Express, where I could actually field a piece of research. No, I can't, couldn't and still can't. But I can certainly go online and find whatever research I can get my hands on. So that was the only sort of negative for me because I would have asked other questions. But the information provided was gold. And again, really helped me create a strategy for ASA. Yeah. So let's talk about the early days of ASA. Like when did the idea you've had, it seems, I love how everything was just building up to this moment because you were doing the, you know, the, the heart of, heart of gold. Heart of gold girls. Yeah. Heart of gold. And then I'm like a boss and, and they, they almost continue to build on the learnings you had of heart of gold led to like a boss, the learnings from like a boss. Yeah. Like in terms of like the niche markets. So I'm just curious, I love origin stories. So do you remember when the idea for ASA began to percolate? Yeah. So even back in American Express, you know, because I was in financial service, it was always about segments and earning money, making money, investing money. So as I started to go through Heart of Gold Girls, Like a Boss Girls, we talked a lot about empowerment, but I realized that true empowerment is financial empowerment. So that became a very important theme for me in terms of my next step. So, you know, started Mind of a Mentor, loved it. We did, as a team, did our research, whatever we could get our hands on to find out what was going on in the marketplace and saw that women were not, not doing nearly as well as men were doing. I think at that point in time, maybe 22 or 23% of all podcasts were hosted by women. Now it's 27-ish, maybe a little higher. There's been a little bit of an improvement, but not en- enough. 
men were far out earning women in podcasting. And I thought about it and realized, I think podcasting is a natural medium for women. You know, just we like to have conversations and we're really good at it. And I decided, you know what, this is a good area for me to focus my creativity and to take everything that we learned from Heart of Gold and Like a Boss Girls and transform it and make it very practical. So when I started ASA, the real focus was, how do I help women in podcasting make money? That was, you know, financial empowerment. That's the way it was. So the origin of ASA, the initial development of ASA was the matching platform. It was actually advertisers could go online, put in their criteria for their campaign, up would pop podcasters on ASA that met their campaign, and we started to go from there. So initially, we were looking at attracting podcasters and then, and as well as po- attracting advertisers. So we built that piece of it up because that's the financial piece. Sure. And then I realized we started talking to our podcasters and realized that there was a lot of need, that they needed us, and that there was an opportunity to build a really supportive community to help women up their game if they wanted to professionalize. So we started to do a lot more in by way of we offered an online course. It's called it was called Grow Your Show. Very creative. But <laughs> what we did was every module was recorded uh, by one of our awesome members, uh, all experts in their own respective fields. So marketing and PR, etc. And we started to do more community calls and more community training. And as we saw the need, it's always about listening to your customer. Yeah, which you have a lot of experience in. Yeah, we saw that consumer need and realized that we really had to continue developing opportunities for podcasters. So good example, this past summer, we launched ASA Academy. And ASA Academy was a free seven-week accelerator program for women in podcasting. Each module was taught by an industry expert. It was a really great experience. The experts were experts. I think people walked away with some great information. I know we helped women who really wanted to take their podcast to the next level. And that made me realize even more how important this kind of education is. In a supportive environment, they felt very safe. We would have conversations and everyone felt that they would learn off of each other. So it was, you know, super amazing. So I found myself growing the different pieces of the business. So the advertiser piece, going after more advertisers, the podcaster piece. And I also realized that I wanted to spend more time connecting with the industry people, you know, people who ran businesses having to do with podcasting in the podcasting world. And I wanted to do that because I wanted to learn what was out there for my sake to be a better podcaster, but also to figure out, are there, you know, initiatives, are there programs that I can offer to my podcasters where they will benefit? So it's been a lot of fun for me working on these three buckets of segments. It's been super. I really enjoyed it. I think what's been helpful for for me, and I'm wondering if you can relate to this, having come from a corporate background and understanding like 
you talked about research budgets, but also marketing budgets, and you know how marketing departments think about their marketing spend, and even like towards the end of the year, like you don't use it, you lose it exactly. mentality. And the initiatives that companies have where they want to do more for empowering women, for example. And so I'm wondering how much of that that's always in the back of your mind about keeping an, an ear out for what companies have initiatives like that and how maybe ALSA can partner with them for those, for those programs. Yeah, we're looking to partner with companies that are focused on elevating the voices of women in their companies. And I, I think that there is definitely a lot of opportunity. We're starting within the podcasting world. But to your point, I think there's an opportunity to go beyond the podcast industry. And, we, and we're certainly going to look at that. Are you, uh, you plan on attending the uh, podcast movement conference in March in LA? Yes. Evolutions. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I will be an exhibitor. We were exhibitors in the podcast movement in Nashville a couple months ago. We're going to be exhibiting in March, and we are going to be showcasing our brand new ASA app. Very cool. You know, showing people, it'll be the first release of the app, but yeah, that's, so that's going to be a big, big opportunity for us to just expose people to who we are, what we're doing. And when I tell people, they ask me like, what do you want to do with ASA? And I say, world domination, and they laugh. Oh, you're so funny. No, I'm not kidding. And the app I think will be a super helpful tool for both podcasters and advertisers. And we're thinking about it from a marketing perspective with consumer need. You know, how will our consumers use it? What more will they need? Which is why we probably have 10 releases coming up. But that's okay. We're going to learn from the experience. What's the experience been like uh, developing an app? Oh, so very cool. I mean, for me, I don't have a technology background. So you know, but what I've realized throughout the years is that hiring good people is critical and hiring good people with complementary skills, very, very critical. So to me, it's always about searching for people who, number one, are passionate about ASA, who really believe in our mission, but also have the technical capabilities to do what we need to do. I am bootstrapped, so every penny I spend, I spend it very carefully. So, but seeing the development of the app has been incredible. In fact, we just had a meeting today, just looking at the next release. It's just it's crazy, you know. We talked about an app two years ago, and then actually to see it and to start experiencing it is extremely exciting. How much of that did you pick up in your years working with bigger teams and, and understanding the importance of finding the right folks qualified to not only do the job, but also passionate and, and excited to do the work? Oh, this started way back when. So in Citibank, I you know, became a manager and I was hiring people and realized that I can't possibly be good at everything. Because there's some things I am not interested in being good at. I don't like that. I don't like certain topics. It's just not my thing. So going out and searching for people that believed in the mission, whatever we were doing within my group, believed in the company that I thought would be collaborative, because that's incredibly important to me. Integrity is incredibly important to me as well. So looking for those characteristics and using that 
profile to build a team, that's essential. And that started way back in Citibank. And I think I've gotten better, better at it over time. Yeah, I can't. To me, hiring a team is probably the most important thing you can do. Do you think of um, relationships you've had with previous managers or, or mentors that come to mind? Yes. So when I came on to American Express, the person who hired me was my mentor and became a very dear friend. Okay. And, you know, I certainly learned contents and, you know, stuff from her in terms of what I needed to do for my job and, you know, how to implement and whatever the technical stuff that I needed to do. But she also helped me navigate a very big corporate environment. Yeah. So she was very helpful in giving me like little cues and hints in terms of, you know, how to my demeanor, you know, Marla, you're looking too serious, you know, not that you have to look like an idiot, but you know, just lighten up a little bit. I never I'm usually so in my head. And so it was stuff like that, that really stuck with me. That's helpful. Yeah. Which helped me as I started to progress in American Express, because it's really about people connecting with people and how well you do connecting with people. Do you find yourself recalling some of those lessons and tips as you, as you start to build out your team at also? Well, you know, it's so interesting because we're on Zoom now. Yeah. So it's very different on Zoom, as we all know, than when you're sitting face to face. So you sort of can see, you know, cues, you know, nonverbal cues, but it's sort of not as good as being, you know, face to face. So I've, I've become, I've, I've become more patient and I'm more careful just in terms of really trying to understand, I hear what she's saying, but what does she really mean? And what's her body language? What's her tone of voice? So it's just, it's ingrained now. And I think it's been fine-tuned, especially with this like Zoom era that we're in. What was some of the adjustments you had to make? Because I, I mean, I, I, I grew up in a cubicle life as well. <laughs> and you would have those whiteboard sessions, and then you would go to lunch with your team, and you'd go to happy hour. And, and you know, there's a very in-person component. And I think for a while, there were companies that's, that thought, we could never do remote, you know, I think towards the end of my nine to five career, I think there were a couple of like one day remote or something like that. They were testing stuff out. Right. But this grand experiment where companies were like forced to see to, to try it because there's, there was no other choice. And I think it's interesting because it feels like the cat's out of the bag now. Like there's no going back right. <laughs> to the way thing, things were. And I'm wondering what that adjustment has been like in terms of not only learning yourself as a manager, how to work with a team, but also how people see like the role of a job and what it's supposed to do and not do for them. It's just really interesting because it feels like new ground. So, you know, the thing about working in a company that I really liked, you know, working in a location was you'd be able to pop into somebody's cubicle or office and they could pop into yours. So it, it was those little conversations that you would have during the day I found to be incredibly valuable. So yes, I miss that. It would involve me being on Zoom 24-7. So you just don't have that kind of, a, yeah. you know, immediacy. So I think we have to approach it differently. So I definitely do miss that. You know, 
It's interesting what companies are going through now. Well, well now we're, we're in like another wave of COVID. I think companies are going to want people to come back. And it's going to be really interesting to see the tension between how they feel they should operate their company versus what the employees and how they want to interact. And I think it's going to be a hybrid. I really do. Because I think what I've read is that people do miss that face-to-face, but doing it five days a week is a drag. So coming up with a hybrid solution, to me, that's the way to go. And it's interesting, I think, when you really think about how people work and how some people are night owls and some people are early risers and this box that we had everyone in that you're you're nine to five, five days a week, because everybody's supposed to work like that. And then there's just people that work better in different environments. And I think companies are, are realizing that and trying to f- figure out what works. Do you, do you see a point where you'll try to do more in-person events with your team? So... My team is, well, we're all virtual. I mean, we're all over the place, but there are some people, a good chunk of the team members are located at least on the Eastern Seaboard. So when things open up, I probably will do like an all hands in-person meeting at one of these facilities like WeWork or something like that. Because there is something about that energy that I really miss, but it's going to have to wait. I got a little taste of that at these conferences because some of my team members come with me. And it's great because, you know, we're meeting new people, first of all, through the conference, and we're getting to know each other better. And the ideas start to pop. You know, you have a conversation, you turn to your colleague and, and you know, you're like, wow, that's, a, that's something we should be doing. I miss that. And I do enjoy that, and I'm able to get a bit of that at the conferences. Well, I plan on being at the conference in March as well, so we'll get to oh, meet good. Person, so be- <laughs> good, good, good. I'm going to the March one. There's PodFest at the end of May. I'm going to be there. Podcast Movement in August in Dallas, which in is- In August, yeah. I can't- Dallas in August is just not a good- <laughs> Whatever, I'm sure- Well, they're going back to where it started. I went to the very first Podcast Movement. It was in uh, Texas, Fort Worth. Oh, really? 2014, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was exciting. They were, it started as a Kickstarter, and they were trying to raise ten thousand dollars to like <laughs> have an event at a. It wasn't even the the first hotel where they ended up at was a bigger hotel because they they hit their ten k super fast, and they're like, "Whoa, we're onto something here!" And and just to see what Jared and and Dan have put together since then has been just like amazing in such a short period of time that it's known as the preeminent conference for podcasters globally so it's 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 kudos to them and i again i think it's because people like connecting with each other personally yes it's those conversations you have going from one session to another session and cocktails and i mean that to me the hallway conversations are the best ones yeah it's so cool (laughs) i mean i miss that and i enjoyed it i'm in nashville even though that was a little bit more subdued because of covid and i'm hoping that things will sort of be okay by the end of March and we'll be able to enjoy it. Yeah, I made it to all of them with the exception of uh, this last one. And when you keep going and you keep seeing your friends and people that you've met at the early ones, it starts to become a little bit of a class reunion (laughs) vibe because you start seeing your same friends. And sometimes you just see them that one time every year. And the podcasting family, I think, has been really special for me just because I did, I, I didn't, I lost that sense of community once I left the corporate world. And that just, that's where I rediscovered it. And I'm really looking forward to those picking up again as well. Yeah. I mean, the podcast people are the nicest. 
incredibly collaborative. Yes, everyone says this, but it's the truth. Yeah. We all want to help each other. And I'm not going to succeed by putting someone else down. I'm going to succeed when someone else succeeds and vice versa. So I so love that about it. And you certainly feel that at the conferences where people are just so open exchanging information. It's pretty cool. Have you had a chance to connect with some of the other women who are running some of the other organizations, groups, collectives, like She Podcasts? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, Jessica's great. I love her. I actually went to She Podcasts. She had a conference a couple months ago, which was very cool. And Jess was one of my experts for Asa Academy. And Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I admire what she does. They've done such a great job, her and Elsie. Elsie, yeah. I think we complement each other. Yeah, I agree. It's something that I've learned, and I have a second show in in the vertical farming industry, and I've I've interviewed multiple CEOs and founders of vertical farming companies. But the message there is that there is no sense of competition. They just feel like we all have a role to play because the need is so big for this. And I get the sense of that in terms of all the other groups that are catering specifically towards women. It feels like there is a heavy lift there. And the more voices doing it, the more people that are doing it, you know, to your point, I think you all complement each other. And it brings awareness to the space that I think is really sorely needed. And I, and what's important to us, and sort of the way we think about ASA is the majority of our podcasters, their listeners are women. And guess what? Women make up 85% of all US household consumer purchases. Which you know very well. So there you go. I mean, there is power in our voice and we need to use it better. So talk to me a little bit about the roadmap for ASA. Oh, yes, world domination, as we say. <laughs> so we're rolling out the app this year. It's just it's going to take several months for us to get to where we want it to be. The first phase will be consolidated data, because again, you know, data is important. You need to know your numbers. And we're going to enable people to see both their podcasting data as well as the, their other channel data in one place. I call it mission control. There'll be a monetization piece that will be added to the app. There'll be a marketplace piece that will be added to the app. So, you know, this happens to you all the time, for sure. Do you know a a producer? Do you know an editor? Do you know a a marketing person? Well, what we're doing, and we're doing it in beta before we put it on the app, we call it ASA Production Services. We went to our base and said, all right, who are the editors? Who are the producers? And we're creating a mini agency. That's great. Which I love because it's another way to help our members monetize. So that's important to me. And I think going back to the whole financial empowerment piece of it, finding other ways to help women make money in podcasting is super important. We use our, our the CPM model. If you have a thousand average downloads per episode, you know, we can definitely bring you into a deal. You're not going to make a whole lot of money, but it's more than you made before you got into the deal. But we also want to introduce our podcasters to other strategies, you know, sponsorships and merch and things like that. So I want to look at a lot of those other avenues this coming year. And to me, it's 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 about data. It's providing more capabilities, more tools, 
you know, ways that women, our members can tell their story, stories better. We're going to be rolling out OS Academy, doing that. We're doing something called Production Camp, which is going to be pretty darn amazing. We're going to do several of these throughout the year. And basically, we'll be getting groups of people together in a location. And in two days, soup to nuts, they're going to be pulling together a branded podcast. That's awesome. You know, different teams working with each other. Nice. So, Like a hackathon. That's just <laughs> some of what we're going to be doing. And the other thing, as I mentioned, we're at 1,300 podcasts now. We want to grow it tenfold. Nice. So we'll be putting on a whole lot more podcasters to our network. Again, that will give me more of an ability to attract more advertisers. It'll give us more clout in the industry so that I can help my podcasters. And that's really important to me. If you ever uh, want to have a, a chat about what I did with the second show, Vertical Farming Podcast, I've generated over 50K in revenue, and I landed the first sponsor before I even launched the show. Fabulous. So, yeah, it's it was just... And it's a, just a testament to being very specific about what I wanted to do with it. So I, I knew it was in the vertical farming industry, which is an industry that's receiving a lot of investment. That's important. You need to go where the money is. And then I only interview CEOs and founders. So when you look at the who's who of, of the past four seasons, other CEOs, other companies in the space are like, oh, this is the show that we need to be on. So you create like this almost like a, a honeypot effect where like you're building up and granted i did not know a lot about the industry i'm learning and i'm taking my listener along on the journey and so when i speak to these ceos and founders i just come with a natural curiosity like we spoke at about at the beginning of this episode and i think it was, it was really eye-opening for me because it's different than what i had done with podcast junkies but i think i had an intention a clear intention of what i wanted to do and what i wanted to do in a specific space so that's that's helpful and i think just good guidance for for people to think about, you know, what would be a good show for me to start and, and put some thought behind it? Yeah, so I'll definitely be tapping yeah. into your expertise. So thank <laughs> you for offering. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want you to make an ask to my audience. Is there anything that, you know, from a reaching out to company perspective, marketing departments, partnerships, alliances, you know, what do you think as you look into 2022, like what, who you want to align yourself with and as an ask to the audience? Thanks for asking me that question. So very quickly, our ASA is the only indie women's podcast network, which is very important to me. Our podcasters, most of them are incredibly successful business people. So just because they don't have a lot of numbers initially doesn't mean that they won't grow going forward. It also doesn't mean that they don't have a community because they have a large community, you know, with other channels. So for advertisers, sponsors to understand that we have a group of phenomenally talented, powerful women um, who are awesome members. And we would love to talk and show you how our members can help the, you know, advertisers and sponsors make money. The people who listen to these podcasts, the listeners, are devoted. They're ne it's a niche audience, but they're so devoted to their host. So when a host recommends a product, you better believe that ask will convert. So yeah. I guess my ask would be, don't discount us. Count us in. We are growing we have a lot of powerful women in our network, and we'd like to talk to you. 
And we want to make this mutually beneficial. And I think we can. Well, what you've done is just give me a nice soundbite for the promotional audiogram for this episode. So <laughs> Good. Uh, we'll, we'll make sure we take that and promote it and market it as well. So get, get the word cool. out. Cool. Thank you. Uh, where did the, the name also come from? So again, my corporate background, what did we do? We always looked at mythology. So I was looking at Greek mythology, Swedish mythology, I mean, all kinds of mythology, and saw that the name Asa was available. My husband is an, an IP attorney, so that's very handy. That's handy. Because I could just say to him, <laughs> how about this name? And he'd check, no. And I liked Asa because Asa was the goddess of gossip and communications. Oh, that's interesting. It just, it felt right. Yeah. So we are Asa Collective. We're a collective of women in podcasting. Yes, if you just Google Asa, you may see a Swedish motorcycle company. So that's not who we are. We're Asa Collective. Now you just have the Asa Motorcycle Company sponsor the podcast. <laughs> okay, that would be kind of, that. that's a little mind-bending there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of questions as we wrap up. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Oh, wow. That's a really tough one. I'm laughing because once I make a decision, I, I tend to stick with it. Because it takes a lot for me. I don't want to say it takes a lot for me to make a decision, but they're very considered. Oh, gosh, you stumped me, Harry. We've had people say something as uh, simple as started drinking more tea than coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that that is true. You know, I've changed my mind in terms of the kind of team I need to have. The team I have now is very different than I used to have. And I realize because we are growing in size, this process of scaling my own business is it's challenging. So I need to reorient the way I select employees, the way I interact with other companies. So that's where my mind is going and where I'm seeing a whole lot of evolution in my thinking. That would be a nice uh conversation to have as well so i'll tee that up so when we have our conversation about the sponsorship i'm just curious about your thoughts on hiring because that's something i always think about as well like you know because it's so nerve-wracking you know how do you know that you're hiring the right person based on just like a couple of conversations and you know just reviewing a resume it's it's been always something that i've thought long and hard about so i agree with you but to me it's also it's looking at the resume and understanding the the stuff but it's also the emotional connection. Yeah, It's yeah. looking someone in the eye and trying to understand really what's your motivation. That to me is super important when you're looking to hire someone. Makes a lot of sense. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? That I'm too much of a soft touch. Now, the thing is, I'm incredibly nice. In fact, I'm told I'm too nice. <laughs> However, how do I say this nicely? Don't cross me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay. I'll take a lot. I'm super supportive, collaborative, understanding, nurturing. I'm a mother. Yeah. But I value integrity and honesty. So don't cross me walking away from, you know, integrity or honesty. I will not tolerate that. So that to me is a line I draw in the sand. That's an important one, especially especially with what we've talked about, about the helpfulness of the podcast industry, it's also very small too. Right. (laughs) So word gets around and people start, especially when you see the news about people jumping from all these one podcast company to another, I think um, it's something to be conscious of, you know, 
the caliber of the relationships you're building here. Exactly. And then your word is really important to your point. Incredibly important. Don't mess around with that. I mean, your word is your bond, as the saying goes. Yeah. Well, Marla, just as I thought, the, the hour went by pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the time. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Harry. This was I'm, fun. Uh, I really enjoyed my time on Mind of a Mentor, and I was looking forward to this conversation as well, just to learn a little bit more about your backstory, because it just fascinates me, all the different ways people come into this industry, and especially people that are coming from a corporate background, because that was the, the biggest thing for me. You'd be surprised at how much they don't teach you either in college or in the corporate world about digital marketing. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And so it was, it was a real learning experience for me. It's always fun to find someone who can I can commiserate with <laughs> <laughs> about the, 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 the good and the bad. Right, right. But I think you've seen, because of the research background, what I've seen over the years about the tremendous potential for this industry um, and I thought in 2014 I was late. It's clear that there's so much happening and at such a rapid pace and it's an exciting time to be in podcasting. And I think what you're doing specifically to raise the voices of, of women in the space is much needed. Thank you. Long overdue. And uh, as much as I can do to amplify your voices, I'm going to make sure I do that as well. So thanks for I appreciate that. Yeah. I really do. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for all you do. And, and where's the best place for folks to go to learn more about ASA? So they can go to a bunch of places, asacollective.com. You can find out a lot of information. Or you can email me directly, marla at asacollective.com. Okay. Thanks again for your time, Marla. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So thanks to Marla for coming on the show. Always appreciate it when my guests make time, take an hour out of their busy day to come on the show and share their inspiring stories with you. I truly, truly appreciate it. Full show notes, any resources mentioned, a couple of quotes, and all sorts of goodies at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 287 intro and outro music composed by my good friend, George Abiana, aka Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com for his music. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, specifically my favorite, the go-to, the Scarlet 2i2 Pro. Learn more and see their full lineup at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite. I've got a special promo available. I was catching up with the team from Alphonic. So we've put together a special promo for you, listeners of this show. It's a fantastic offer. Make sure you check it out, podcastjunkies.com forward slash Alphonic. Tune in next week for my conversation with longtime friend and can't believe he hasn't been on the show, friend <laughs> Jonathan Bailey Strong, another pillar of the podcast community. Looking forward to that catch up. Okay, you're probably looking for this week's retention hashtag as well. Let's go with Awesome Marla, O S S A M A R L A, hashtag Awesome Marla, and tag us at podcast underscore junkies. Thank you for all you do to support the show each and every week when you listen, when you subscribe, no matter when you're playing this, whether it's on a walk with your dog or washing the dishes or making dinner or just chilling on the couch. I always hear from new listeners and from old as well, and I truly appreciate the time you put in and uh, give of yourselves for the show. It means a lot to me. Talk to you next week.